ready to go into Rachel just read verse 8. The first, those first five words are very important because you're going to read many verses in Scripture that start with the opening. It's like the uh, window into the, the authenticity and the material of the verse. And it came to pass. Why is that important? We could discuss that. Why is it important that it says, and it came to pass? Yeah, it happened. It's not a fable like a fairy tale, like some Mother Goose thing. It says, once upon a time, or a Cinderella story, or some kind of a made-up thing. There's so many stories about people try to fill in the gaps between the verses that don't stay, say what happens. And there's this legend that actually when Paul came to shore... He actually had this big cloud of fire and this great big statue came out and he walked on water and he was healing people. And they do that kind of stuff. That's like the apocryphal writings when they're talking about Jesus as a little boy. He would get bored and since he was God, he was alone. At least they called him God. And he would take birds and he would go out and they would die and he would heal them. And they would be, be like a little, you know, like a Cinderella story with birds flying around him. And he had crickets and he had little rabbits. And that's the kind of stuff they come up with. Right, when he's a little he's a little boy, and he's got all this like uh, all this all, all these like little creatures around him and stuff because he was alone. We don't know any of that, and the, the other thing is is we really don't know what actual day Christ was born. One thing we know it's not is December twenty fifth, and we're gonna be we're gonna be looking at that at our Christmas Eve service here about really what the date really was. But when it says it and it came to pass. What? Yeah, exactly. And it says it, it's history. It actually happened. And, it, and, and the actual authenticity of the history, it's cradled by the veracity and the, the perfect truth of these verses. When it says, and it came to pass, woe be unto the people that don't believe that. That they sit there and they try to debunk that and say, no, it really didn't come to pass. Because what you're doing is you're absolutely calling God a liar. So we see that these things did come to pass, and we know that they do. And in verse 11, this is where we pick up. And after three months, we departed in a ship of Alexandra, which had wintered in the isle whose sign was Castor and Pollux. And landing at Syracuse, we tarried there three days. And from thence we fetched a compass and came to Regium. And after one day the south wind blew and we came the next day to Putioli, where we found brethren and we desired to tarry with them seven days. And so we went towards Rome. And from thence when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Appii, Forum, and three taverns, whom when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. And when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. This is fascinating. Could somebody look up 1 Corinthians 15.57 and read that, please? And this is another application. You know, we can get an awful lot of great life lessons out of these verses, and exactly because of the circumstances, the way they kind of like play out. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. But thanks be to God, who giveth us the victory 
That was a pretty good concert there. <laughs> you guys were like two speakers. <laughs> right. You guys are reading perfectly in time. What does it say in the short verses? Thanks be to God. Thanksgiving. We just celebrated Thanksgiving. And here Paul, in the midst of the trials of all of his life, he's giving Thanksgiving. He is thanking the Lord that the Lord has brought him. And we see in that verse 16, he actually got the Christians together. People knew that he was coming, and they all prayed together, and they gave thanks to him. And they, they all gave, the Paul, they gave thanks to, to our Lord, I mean. They all were thankful, even in the midst of such hardship. And you know what? We're going to pull this together because we're going to look at some of Paul's writing. We're going to see, basically, between this week and next week, had he written the, the epistle to the Romans yet, who were they, and basically, what had he accomplished, and what was their reaction when they met him? Well, here we see Paul's reaction already, the native reaction last week, as we were talking about how the snake was fastened to his hand. Paul didn't flinch, he didn't yell, he didn't cry, he didn't waver. His faith was manifested in the fact that he reacted with poise, and his reaction was found to honor and glorify our Lord. He did not throw it off as, for, as to latch onto someone else. He just stood there. Paul, he had the faith that Christ was there with him, with presence of mind, to use this as an event to glorify the Lord and to magnify this miracle. So at the time here, he's got a snake latched into his arm with the fangs in it, and there he is. In Mark 16, 15, we read, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them and believe in my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. These were the words of Jesus. And here it is playing out with Paul. He said, if a snake bites you, it's not going to hurt you. If you have poison, it's not going to kill you. You will not finish your mission until I give you that appointed time. How many times did Jesus say, my hour had not come yet? Over and over and over and over again. He walked through the Pharisees. He walked through his kinsmen back in his own hometown when they tried to throw him over a cliff. When he was speaking about the two Gentiles in the Old Testament. And he walked right through them. It's incredible. And so we see here that Paul, without fear, he cast off the servant, serpent, and it gives us a reminder how Christ casts off the serpent. He has the power to cast off the serpent out of our lives. And their reaction at first was that Paul was guilty of murder because he had the snake on him. But then what was their reaction? Anybody remember? But first they're all saying that he's some kind of a murderer. Now what? Yes. See how fickle pagan religions are? One minute, he's an insurrectionist and a murderer. He deserves to die. The next minute, oh, we worship him now. He, 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 he wiggled that snake off of his arm, and he didn't even start swelling up. He had no symptoms of a venomous asp snake bite, and now they start worshiping him. Remember back when Paul was called, he and Barnabas were called Jupiter and Mercurius, how he would never accept worship. 
Always keep that in mind. That's very important. Because when we read Scripture, Christ welcomed. He welcomed the worship to Him. Because He's God. But Paul and the angels, Peter, they would never accept worship. They would never be worshipped. And I think a lot of so-called spiritual leaders today could really, really learn from that. You know, in Zechariah 10, 2, we've got to be careful with idols. I'll tell you what, Jacob, can you look up Zechariah chapter 10, verse 2? It's amazing their fickle nature, and it's amazing how all of a sudden there was a Pharaoh that loved Joseph, and then a Pharaoh in Moses' day that hated Joseph. And then there's been all kinds of all, all kinds of fickle pagan religions that just change on a dime. Look at I mean I, I could give story after story, but go ahead and read that if you have that, Jacob. But that see isn't thank you. Isn't that what happens with idolatry? People are troubled when they don't have a shepherd, when they don't have someone to go to and to lead them. I, I, I maintain that in this church, over down through the years, we've, there's always been someone to go to. When someone's hurting, there's a whole panel of pastors, and there are elders and deacons all down through. There's always someone to go to, and it's always been a blessing to have a common love and a common agreement of the one gospel, where it doesn't become fickle, where one week we believe in Jesus, the next week we believe in Confucius, the next week we believe in some false idol. It's always centered around Christ. Always. I mean, I just, I mean, I just marvel. Lisa and I were watching it again. Is the memorial that Miss Roberta gave us with her mom. And when we were sitting here in the, in, in the sanctuary, the day of her memorial, she's giving that wonderful memorial. And she, they, 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 I think the one question was, what do you believe or what is you Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Her, she's, she's getting towards the latter part of her life and she's leaving a legacy and teaching Christ crucified. Isn't that what we all believe in? We know that His blood cleanses us. This is Paul's mission. We're giving the same message thousands of years later that Paul gave. And here he is teaching us through his life experiences how much he loves the Lord. Remember Christ, Christ was healing as he was here on this earth. Did he stop healing when he went up on the right hand of the Father? Absolutely no. He's still healing through Paul and through others. There were so many miracles on this earth. John 21, 25 says, And there are also many other things which Jesus did, to which if they should be written, everyone, I suppose, that even the world itself cannot contain the books that should be written. We don't even have a small, teeny, tiny percentage of actual miracles of all of the ones that Jesus did on this earth. And the ones that he did through all of his apostles. Look at the ones he had done through the prophets. And how many incredible things happen. Well, then we see Publius. We, went, we, we, we moved forward. His father, we talked about it last week, his father was dying. He had this horrible disease that would have been from as we learned, that one of the horrible diseases back then was from goat's milk. And there was, there was a horrible disease that, that went through that. And a lot of people had horrible abdominal problems and they died from it. And so Paul heals them. So he manifests the healing once again of Christ. And he heals Publius' father and all the others that came up to him. He healed them. 
and at first when they call him a murderer and they turn around and they declare him a god, he doesn't accept worship, but he stays back and he heals them all. And so what happens from there? I think one of the most important lessons that we can get from what we've been learning is that we, like we've been studying in the Wednesday night prayer meeting with the book of Proverbs, how Paul was disciplined. He was going to Rome. And there were so many ways he could have been distracted and he could have just wound, either wound up vanishing or even dying. But that was his mission. He was like a flint set for Rome, not only to face Caesar and face which he said that he must face Caesar, but also to see the Christian church and to talk to them. We were studying discipline as an effect of wisdom in the book of Proverbs a couple Wednesdays ago. We see that discipline is extremely important in the life of a Christian. The instruction of God requires action, and it will result in chastisement, correction, and given by God to those that do not obey His commandments, and whom the Lord loveth He chastens. There is fallout, whom the Lord loveth He chastens. But it's his encouragement to know that the Lord loves us. And there's been like two different types of, I mean, I've, I've heard over the years, two different types of, like, uh, of thoughts on discipline when it comes to parents and it comes to, and it comes to God himself. Parents, you want to discipline your children so that God does not get a hold of them. But then another one says, it's good that God gets a hold of them. Why? Because it shows that there is children. And you know how God gets a hold of them, how we know that? If we have been manifesting the dominion mandate that we train up a child in the way they should go, when they are old, they will not depart from it. And if we've done that, the Lord speaks to us through our prayers. He speaks to us through the reading of the scripture. And we know that the Lord is with us when we're doing what's right. But we live in society today that's not even a, that's not even a thought. There is, why discipline when there's no sin anymore? Has anybody heard that? Yeah, yeah, you ever you ever listen to radio? You ever listen to you ever listen to some of the pastors on the radio now? Do you ever hear anything about discipline and sin? And all you hear you might from Tony Evans. He's actually pretty good about that. He's real good about that. Alistair Begg's pretty good, but then you have Rick Warren and Joel Austin and Julian Myers, and you have some of those. And all you hear is basically from them is you're just basically on an Aladdin carpet in this ride. You're prosperous. Everything's beautiful. Like some of the old 70s songs, don't worry about nothing. But discipline is important. It's amazing how there's no talk about discipline until you run through a speed camera in front of a school. Boy, you're going to get disciplined there because they want their money. <laughs> you know, you work hard for that money. You go through it. You don't see it. It's hidden behind a tree. 75 bucks for going past one of these perpetrated speed cameras. I'm not I'm a real fan of them. And I, and I don't, I'm not saying it's good to drive fast through schools. But you go over, what, six miles, and all of a sudden you're $75? That's discipline. That'll, that'll get you real quick. You know, discipline's very important. I tend to believe that the book of Hebrews was written by Paul. It seems, it seems to be the same type of literature. And when it talks about discipline, this is played out in the book of Hebrews. Um, maybe, Charlie, could you look up Hebrews chapter 12 and read verses 5 through 11, please? Paul says, you've forgotten. <laughs> he's, he's, you're forgotten this. I think many have forgotten this today. 
If you get a chance, that's Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11 there, Charlie. Thank you. Talks about Paul, talks about chastening, enduring it. And the question is through these verses, while we're looking it up, do we embrace the chastening of the Lord or do we push it off? Yep, Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 11. That's okay, go ahead. Yep, up to verse 11, if you could. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Charlie. What are some of the components to discipline that we saw through Paul? There are a lot of things that we can discuss. You can start all the way back in Caesarea when he left there on the boat. What's some of the discipline that he, that he displayed? And why, why, are we, why is it important to plug this in and to show how important discipline is and how do we know if we're being chastened by the Lord? Lisa. Right. That's right. What about at the time when he was actually freed? He was told it was between Festus and Felix. 
when he was handed over to Agrippa, Agrippa said, if you would have went to Jerusalem, we would have let you go. But Paul said, no, I must go before Caesar and stay incarcerated. It's like that, that event that happened early on in Acts. Remember when he was thrown in jail and basically he was down there, I think it was with Silas, and what happened was he should have never been beaten, he should have never been incarcerated, and he said, wait a minute, I'm not leaving jail, I'm a Roman citizen, and you're, you magistrates are going to be held responsible for what you did to a Roman citizen because you violated your own law. That takes discipline to do that. The other part of discipline is standing up on the boat in the middle of a Roman centurion and soldiers that wanted you dead. They actually said they wanted to kill them, and it was only Julius that held back. And they say, he says he stands there and he preaches to them. He literally tells the mariners, God told me, whatever you do, do not go and take that boat out in the winter months. Don't do it. He said, I'm telling you, I implore you, don't you need to wait, you need to wait or there's going to be problems. And what did they do? First of all, they probably thought he was crazy because he said God told him. But then they go right ahead. They go right into the storm. And what happened? The boat breaks apart. But our long-suffering Heavenly Father, who sees everything, says to Paul, look, I know, basically, they're brick-headed. <laughs> they're as stubborn as the Egyptians. But when it comes to it, I am going to bless all of them because of you, 276 people were spared because of the discipline of Paul the Apostle. He was disciplined. And the Lord gave him that. That was a grace that he gave him. And the Lord told him, I will not hurt one hair on their head. And not one of them died. There were just enough boards, just enough pieces of the ship to, for all of them to swim into shore. And to make it, they were fed, they were warmed, everything was ready, they were, and the natives were healed. Who knows? Paul probably could have healed some of them while he was there. It says many came to him and were healed, and now they're on their way to Rome. And look at the discipline. I think that that's something that's always, it's always fascinating to look at. I mean, we, we, here's, here's some quotes. Life is a splendid gift, but to live your life, you must discipline it. Florence Nightingale said that. Discipline is the soul of an army. It makes small numbers formidable and procures success to the weak and esteem to all. That was George Washington. Here's another quote. Why is discipline important? Discipline teaches us to operate by principle rather than desire. Saying no to our impulses, even the ones that are not inherently sinful, puts us in control of our appetites rather than vice versa. It deposes our lusts and permits truth, virtue, and integrity to rule our minds instead. That was from John MacArthur. And he breaks it down and he says, we need to control our impulses and our desires, and we need to be disciplined and operate by principle. Here's another one by Charles Spurgeon. Whirled from off our feet by a revival, carried aloft by popularity, exalted by success and soul winning. We should be as the chaff which the wind driveth away. Were it not that gracious discipline of, of mercy breaks the ships of our vain glory with a strong east wind and casts us shipwrecked naked and forlorn upon the rock of ages. And what we know, we find by this, we live in a very dangerous world. We really do, and discipline is extremely important. Well, as we go forward, Lisa, go ahead. Discipline, essentially, in a way, is 
Right. 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 But isn't that the core value, really, when you break it all down? Isn't this the core value of what Paul is teaching? Of course he's giving the gospel. Of course he's talking about Jesus. Of course he's setting up churches. Of course he's a missionary and he's doing all this work. But what is his message? You have to discipline yourself to worship the Lord. You have to make sure you have a day you set aside... You go honor the Lord, and the day of the Christian church today is on the Sabbath day. It's actually on Sunday. It's on the first day of the week, and that's when we get together and we worship the Lord. And discipline, you have to put aside. You have to strip yourself away from all of your pleasures to do that. You know, do, you, does it, do, do people feel like getting up and wearing suits and ties after working all week and honoring the Lord? Well, you know, it's hard at first, but you actually, it becomes part of your life. It actually becomes more ingrained in you than your watch. And you just do it because the Lord does that. And what it does is it, at number one, you're disciplined to honor the obedience that the Lord says to honor me and worship me on the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And he says to do that. And he said, if you do that, your barns will be full. I'll take care of your kids. I'll, I'll take care of things. If you look back on our lives, considering we all deserve to be burning in hell right now, just the fact that we're here breathing is a massive, wonderful blessing that the Lord gives us. And Paul's teaching discipline. He's talking to the diaspora. He tells them, and he, he has already, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to make this very easy. We were talking about it earlier. He has already written the epistle to the Romans. And the reason that they're greeting him and meeting him now is they have it in their hands. They've been reading it. And look what happens here. So all of a sudden, basically, Paul now is getting ready to leave this Greek island. And we are seeing that the ship pulls up. And can you imagine the grandeur or what it looks like when they've been kind of like stranded on this island of Melita? They've been there, and actually they've probably, it's been like a vacation to them because the Lord took care of them. Paul disciplined them. And what he did was he showed them to honor the Lord and the honor that the Lord gives him. They're warm. They've been fed. They've been kept at the house of Publius, who's no doubt is a Roman centurion in this Greek island, and he's worth lots of money. He brings them in, and he takes care of them. And now they're all rested. Not one hair has been, taught, has been touched on their head. All 276 of them are now ready to go to the, to the coast of Italy. And now this coastal ship pulls up, and there is an incredible sign on them. Lisa.
That's right. Right. Yeah. I mean, on every level. Look back on your life and look at the incredible things the Lord's done in your life. Look at what He does. It's incredible how we look back over over events where whether it was a it was a sick loved one. I can look at I can look back over loved ones that it was breaking my heart to watch them die of cancer. And I was with them. Some were in this church. Two were my parents. And I can look back as hard as it was, even through that trial. And even though my prayer was not answered, my, my mother was only 61 years old. You know, um, Pastor Mike Britton always said about his mom, she died at 58. She got off 12 years for good behavior. <laughs> that was, I'll never forget that, him saying that. Well, she got off nine years for good behavior. I guess you could say that. But the bottom line is, is I can look back and see the blessings that actually came through the, ta- the hard times that happened. I can bring up what happened to my brother. My brother died suddenly, and it was hard. It was hard for a lot of reasons. I don't want to go into the details, but one of the things that was incredible, there we are at the intermittent. There we are. We have pictures and everything up front. He's only 38 years old. I go to Lisa, and the Lord just laid this on my heart. I said, can, do you mind if I borrow that little coffee table in the living room? It was a little wooden, beautiful wooden table that has flaps on it. Picked it up, put it in the back of Suburban, and I gathered every track and every Christian movie that I could find, and I just sat it on that table right next to the grave. People from the bank came. We had over 50 people there, and they were lining up to grab those tracks and everything. And Lisa was handing them out. The kids were there. I look at that. I mean, the whole thing was horrifying leading up. But people got the gospel because of the Lord. You know, and, and, and you, you see these things and you see how people are brought to the Lord. If you love the Lord, it just thrills your heart with gladness to see that what the Lord disciplines us with, it brings joy. And Paul says, I'm going to Rome. And he disciplined himself to get to Rome. Lisa, that's all right. 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 Yeah. That's right. He knew. We'll get back to talking about looking back over the, the, the horrors of what can happen, these tragedies. The world looks back at these tragedies and curses God and says, how could there be a God? The atheist says, how can I worship a God that, that starts all these wars and all? Well, he's just declared he's not an atheist. Because if God doesn't exist, he can't start any wars. <laughs> they say that. Well, he killed all these people. How? The Easter Bunny never killed anybody. So if he's no better than the Easter Bunny, why are you mad at him? They, that's what they do. They take his name in vain. How do you take something's name in vain that's not real? And you see how, you see how it's so important in every area of our life to have this discipline. Well, anyway, they're on the, they're, they're on the Isle of Malta. What, how, how big was it last week? We talked about it. About 17 miles wide. Right, there's like 20, I guess to the north, north to the south tip, it's like 20 miles, tiny little island, you know, it's like Gilligan's Island. And they're all on the shore and out of nowhere. Winter is gone. 
the tempests have calmed down. Had they listened, they would have had not had they would not had to have waited for a replacement ship. But they wouldn't listen to Paul. Even the Lord spared their lives, though he spared their lives. A new ship pulls up. Why? Why do we have to read in Scripture? Why is it so important that Doctor Luke tells us what the insignia on the ship is? What's the insignia? Anybody? You read verse eleven. Have you all ever heard of Castor and Pollux? Don't. You can read about it if you want, but it's actually kind of pretty filthy. What it is, it's Greek mythology. And basically, this one had a baby, this one had a baby, this one was out of well, all this kind of stuff. And they came up with these two twins that basically were part of Gemini, and they died. It's a mythological, mythological people, like the Greeks made up, and these two twins died, and actually their, their, their existence wound up in the constellations. And those two, Castor and Pollux, they're, they're twins that are, you can see them, they say, in the sky, in the constellations, and what they do is they rain down safety for the ships and the mariners of the day. It's very superstitious. Dr. Luke was trying to point out the paganness of the Greeks. And he was telling us with Castor and Pollux, which were actually carved into the prow of the ship, it's the forepart of the ship, you could see these great big images of Castor and Pollux. And when they come up, you, can you imagine they're on the, Mal, the Isle of Malta after all that they've been through, and they're walking up and when somebody says, Look at that ship coming in. And it looks just like the merchandise ship that they had, that had already broken up. Some of them had to say, I'm not getting back on that thing. Look at what we went through already. Every single one of them boarded that ship. And it comes up. They see the sign Castor. They see the sign Pollux. They all board the ship. And they're now headed to the coast of Italy. So look what happens here. We're getting close here. <clears throat> Getting back to the mythological twins real quick, I wanted to say one more thing. They were supposed to protect the boats from the great whirlpools that they called in the sea creatures. You can see, you can see exactly what I'm talking about in some of the movies that you remember. Pirates of the Caribbean, they had a great big whirlpool in the middle of the ocean that they were being sucked down into. And you have seen maybe Disney movies. Of course, Disney has every pagan demonic thing you can imagine. And you've seen sea dogs. You see sea creatures. Remember 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea with Kirk Douglas? That was a classic. And, they were, and basically, all down through the ages, the mariners depended on superstition to protect them on the seas from the weather, from the tides, and from these great big tidal waves and everything that took them over, that there's another one. There's a current day one that you'll say, that'll sound real familiar. Lisa. Good. Yeah. Well, it's not just common grace. That's a, that's a great window. But from, from all accounts, if you go to the John MacArthur Study Bible and you listen to some of his messages, he truly believes that Publius, he was the, no, Julius Augustus was the third Roman centurion of three that we know that were popular in Scripture. There were three. One at the cross, 
one that, one that had Peter housed with him. Remember Cornelius? And then this Roman centurion, from studying Josephus, I didn't get into all that, but from studying Josephus and some of these other letters, he believes that there was a church started on the Isle of Malta with, under Publius. He got saved, and there are some inferences in Scripture about how they were so compassionate to the Christians. He believes that there were church started. Not only was there saving grace, there was, I mean, common grace, there was saving grace. And people did get saved. You can read about this. Lisey. That was the centurion servant. That's a good one. That's right. Yeah, that, that would be four. I forgot about that. That's, that's like in the very beginning of Matthew. When he's, he heals the centurion servant from afar and he heals um, Peter's mother-in-law. And it, that's like way in the beginning. That's a good memory. That's a good one. Lisa. Yeah. There's, there's even, there were Christians woven into the Roman Empire. I mean, it's a great point. I mean, today I have to, I do have to ask the question: How can a Christian work for the Department of Defense? You can't do anything, Christian. You have to conform. If they tell you to wear a rainbow flag on you, you got to wear it. If they tell you to wear a rainbow hat, you got to wear it. How can you? But back then, even in the Romans, there were actual Christian Roman centurions. The Lord has His people strategically places, strategically placed in areas that we would never believe. And that's why we, we trust Him no matter what we do. It's incredible how these people pop up. The question is, where do the Christians come from in Podioli and going all the way up through Sicily and heading up to Rome? Where do they come from? They were there to greet Him when He was under arrest with soldiers. And He was allowed to fellowship with them. Lisi, I'm sorry. Right. Because at that point, Jesus was too busy to go anywhere doing the things that he had the business in Judea. And Nicodemus believed enough, knowing though what he was in for if he made his, his desire to know more about Jesus public. So coming to him at night and talking to him about that took a lot of courage yeah. to do something like that because his whole life was around the priesthood. Right. And to be, you know, exposed would be to have lost everything. Right. I love, if a ruler came to Jesus one night. We used to sing that. You must be born again. You must be born again. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, you must be born again. Why was it in the evening? We had a long discussion about that years ago in the Sunday school. It was about probably seven, eight years ago. That's a good discussion. He came to Jesus at night, and he could not. His heart would not let him not get close to Jesus. Just like the blind man. The blind man that gets cast out of the temple, John 9, he gets cast out of the temple and he walks right down the pathway to the church, the real church, and that was Christ himself. And you see all these things laying out, it's, an, it's just, just incredible. Today, you talk about Castor and Pollux, 
Today, has anybody ever heard of St. Elmo's Fire? Yeah, big 80s movie. It's a stupid movie. St. Elmo's Fire. That's what the Mariners look at today, like Castor and Pollux. That is their superstition. Basically, that uh, they trust. It was it was proof, basically, that they trust in false religions. Back in the day, with those with those etchings in the prow of that ship, but it's like the same superstition today from the seas of Saint Erasmus, who was venerated under name Elmo as patron of the sailors, who regards Saint Elmo's fire. Guess what saying Elmo's fire really means? Witch's fire. As a visible sign of his guardianship over them and their ship or their aircraft. And that's today. But I find it amazing. In Apollo, I think it was 13, one of the men gets close to the moon. I question a lot of that. When he gets to the moon while he was up there on Christmas Day, and he said, how can there not be a God? And he declared that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth forth him. He couldn't, what else could he say? When the awe of God is standing in your face, it's better to just drop down to your knees and to just give God all the glory for that. I've lived my whole life being here, having the grace, to, the Lord giving me the grace to do that. I've seen things and you just can't, wow, that's incredible what the Lord does. It's incredible. After so, so what happens here is our Lord never failed to provide Paul with Christian fellowship. In chapter 14, where does he start out? Here he is on the boat, verse 14, and basically he says here, When we found brethren, we desired to tarry with them seven days, and so we went towards Rome. They had been to Regium, they had been to Syracuse, which is Sicily, Rigium, which had been right there, basically at the, at the coast, right at the bottom, there near Podioli. And what there, at each, place of the, each place here had harbors to bring the ship in, to get the merchandise off. And it's incredible how the Lord gives Paul seven days, 50 miles away from Rome, to see Christians in Podioli come to him. He fellowships with him. How did he get to do that? Well, it turns out, really, if you go back into history... The centurion that had been, Paul now had been turned over to a different centurion. He had seven days of paperwork to do for the merchandise. So for the seven days he's doing his merchandise, he's doing his paperwork, and he's doing his inventory, Paul's with Christians and he's talking to them. He's praying with them for seven days. And his heart is just filled with gladness to see very people that had the epistle of Romans in their hands. They knew of his sufferings. Basically... That was his, that Roman epistle was basically their associated press of Paul the Apostle's missionary journey. They knew him. They knew him without ever even seeing him. How was that possible? And they welcomed him in. He was just dripping with people that loved him from that point forward all the way 50 miles to Rome. And then they go to the seven taverns. That's like 23 miles outside of Rome. And they all get over there. More Christians showed up. And from the people, according to the commentaries, the people from Podioli told the people at Seven Taverns, guess who's coming? Paul. And I'll bet they said, guess who he's got with him? Dr. Luke. And Dr. Luke was well known as the recorder for Paul. I mean, these people were, these people at the time, I mean, they were the R.C. Sproles, the Carl McIntyres, and the, uh, yeah, I don't want to say Jerry Falwell, but, uh, but the John MacArthur's of the time, you know? They would bid Paul. Peter. Peter was the one who was a friend of Christ. 
I mean, it's amazing how all this is going on, and you're thinking in the back of your mind, we haven't heard from Peter in a while, but we will. He's down the road a ways. Peter's, he's, he's still in Jerusalem. He's with the Jewish council. He's with the other apostles, and they're bringing this Christian church together. I, th- this is just incredible. We've got to stop. I wish we had more time. We've got to stop. Next week, what we're going to see is what happens in Rome. What was Paul preaching about? What was he saying? And we're going to go to some of the Roman epistles and pick them apart just a little bit. Brother Dave. Yeah. takes me right back to Egypt. What did the Lord do for the Israelites? He gave them all their gold and their possessions and completely took everything that they needed and gave it right back to them, probably 10, 10 times more. Just like the, what was the 185,000, 185, uh, what, what was it, the 185 that, that got slew by one angel. They were coming into Jerusalem to destroy the Israelites and, when the, and the one angel destroyed them all the Israelites got all of their excess, got all of their gold, their silver, and the Lord let them walk away with it. Now, there were some times when the Lord said not to do it. He said, don't touch it. And, then, and when the Christian, like Achan, when he did that, then, then Achan found out the hard way what happens when you, dis, when you, when you don't have discipline and, and you despise the Lord. That's a great point. The Lord had them all taken care of. Let's finish with prayer. And uh, Matthew, could you close us today? Thank you. Amen.